0: the online ministry of grace baptist church if you're new an extra special welcome pray that god meets you through his word right now we're in a series in the life of solomon called cracks in the foundation his story as a king was told to explain why israel was carried off into exile and it helps us to examine the cracks in the foundation of our own lives so we can deal with them before they spread today we're looking at solomon's love life now Selena Gomez saying, the heart wants what it wants. And Elvis Presley gave us, it feels so right, how can it be wrong? And yet in the Bible, God repeatedly warns that certain love relationships are out of bounds. One of those is between Christians and non Christians. Is God just being difficult? Is He just trying to give us more rules? Are there good reasons why God would require something which for so many people is so difficult? Consider the relationship between Olivia Langdon and Samuel Clemens. We know him today as Mark Twain. After her brother showed Twain a picture of her, he was smitten. The only problem was that she was a devout churchgoer and he had a wild reputation and little interest in God. When he first proposed to her, she refused him. But Twain later wrote this. She said she never could or would love me, but she set herself the task of making a Christian out of me. I said she would succeed, but in the meantime, she would unwittingly dig a matrimonial pit and end up by tumbling into it. Langdon, for her part, sent him sermons to read and urged him to repent. But over the next 17 months, Twain wrote 180 letters to her and he had a gift to writing. (laughs) He eventually claimed to be converted, having given up cigarettes, alcohol and swearing. Back in the day, avoiding those things was a hallmark of Christian faith. Unfortunately, his conversion didn't seem to last much past their wedding day. Once they were married, he often mocked his wife's faith and devotion. And it took a toll on her their biography their biographer wrote that eventually for she forsook her religion altogether and a deep sorrow deluged olivia's life mark twain loved her and never meant to hurt her but he had broken her spirit he said livy if it comforts you to lean on your faith do so but she replied sadly i can't i don't have any faith left Obviously, every relationship is unique, but theirs illustrates some common pitfalls. They show how courtship conversion efforts can often be marked by wishful thinking. They show the toll it can take on both individuals when there isn't a shared faith. Mark Twain's mocking and Olivia's church involvement were both areas of tension and frustration for the other, although neither of them would have expected that they would be prior to the wedding day. But perhaps most tragically, as Olivia lost her faith, she lost what Twain had initially found so attractive about her. It was as if he wanted the strength and the optimism of her faith without the God part. But as her faith in God began to break down, so did her joy and her vitality. And both she and her her husband suffered for it. I don't know how much you've thought about God's laws concerning marriage between believers and unbelievers. If you're single, it's pretty urgent to think through. If you have children, it's a topic you need to prepare them for. Like many areas we've examined in this series, Solomon's life is more of a warning than an example. But he illustrates what often happens when you love someone who doesn't share your faith. Join me in looking at those consequences by turning to 1 Kings chapter 11. I'll read from verses 1 to 8. If you don't have a Bible, just click on the link for today's passage in the description below. 1 Kings chapter 11 verses 1 to 8. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Malach, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives, who made offerings and sacrificed to their God. This is the Word of God. Now, Solomon shows us that when you love someone who doesn't share your faith, the first consequence is That you betray your God. It's not that there's just some abstract religious line that's been crossed, it's a rejection of the God who wants our love. When you love someone who doesn't share your faith, you betray your God. Verse 1 begins with a summary of Solomon's love life, and it just says, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh. This is a progression from what we saw earlier. Back in the series, in chapter 3, verse 1, we learned that Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh by marrying his daughter. This was right at the beginning of his kingship, and it was surprising because right in the same chapter, it also told us that Solomon loved the Lord. The surprising part is, Solomon seems to have wanted to love the Lord, but also love what he had forbidden. If you're here in our series is god racist you know that the issue wasn't ethnicity but religion just as moses had an african wife and boaz married the moabite ruth solomon was free to marry non israelites who were committed to the lord and his ways but the foreign wives that solomon took an interest in weren't too interested in his god besides at least one of his wives was a hittite which was one of the seven Canaanite people groups were slated for judgment because of their sins. All covenants with them were out of bounds. On top of that, Deuteronomy 17 forbids Kings from acquiring many wives. So Solomon was defying God at every step of his love life. And presumably he still thought he was loving the Lord. And I think many people try to do the same thing today. They want to love the Lord and also love what he's forbidden. But that's not how it works. The language that the author of 1 Kings uses helps us to see what's happening. Did you notice in verse 1 it says that Solomon loved many foreign women? Then at the end of verse 2 it says that Solomon clung to these in love. At first the words seem out of place. I can see describing a man's love for his wife and saying that he clings to her as an expression of his devotion and loyalty. But how much devotion are we to expect from a guy who marries a thousand women? Are we to believe that Solomon's some hopeless, romantic, and fiercely committed husband? We know that he's not committed enough to have stopped at one wife. Most scholars believe that the point of these descriptions of Solomon's love is that they're the exact words used to describe the love that believers are supposed to have for God. For instance, Deuteronomy 6.5 famously says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Solomon loved his women more than he loved his God. Similarly, in Deuteronomy 13.4, it says, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. When it says hold fast to him, that's the same word that's translated Solomon clung to these in love. And the point is, Solomon was giving women what he owed to the Lord. He was holding fast to his many wives instead of holding fast to God and his word. And somewhere along the line, he seemed to convince himself he could love God without doing what he commanded. And he lost the heart of his faith in the process. So we're not surprised to read in verse four that his heart was not wholly true to the Lord. Or in verse six, that Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. The word heart is used five times in eight verses here. Because that's what a faith relationship with the Lord is all about. He wants our heart. He wants our love. He wants our loyalty. And committing ourselves to someone who isn't committed to Him is a betrayal of that love. He's the God who sacrifices for us, who walks with us, who protects us and is committed to us. And so when we give our love to what He's forbidden, He takes it personally. And we need to feel the weight of that. So when you love someone who doesn't share your faith, you betray your God. But usually you abandon your purity as well. Turning your back on God's will for your love life may just seem like a simple step, but it usually leads to others. If you compromise on the who of your love life, you'll probably compromise on the what as well. When you love someone who doesn't share your faith, you usually end up abandoning your purity. Now, verse three gives us an ugly picture of the extent that lust and compromise had taken over Solomon's love life. It says he had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. Solomon's number was excessive even by ancient Near Eastern standards. How does someone wake up and decide to marry a thousand women? Obviously, it happened one step at a time. But the text gives us a window into his motivation. There are princesses and concubines. Let's look at the princesses first. When a king entered into a partnership with another king, they would often seal it with a wedding. What would happen is, the kings might offer their daughters in marriage to each other. The idea is, if you're married to each other's daughters, you wouldn't be likely to attack each other. That's what's happening in 1 Kings three one, where it says, Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Put yourself in Solomon's shoes. You've just come to the throne, trying to establish yourself, and the leader of the most powerful nation you know comes and says he wants to make a treaty with you for peace and trade. Sounds like music to your ears. And then he says, As a sign of our trust, I'd like you to marry my daughter. It would take some serious conviction to turn him down, right? You'd need some guts to tell him that the God you believe in doesn't view marriage as a business transaction. You'd have to have courage to say that your God won't let you marry someone who doesn't share your faith. But that's what God does for us. And it's what he expects of us. Solomon didn't show that courage for the Lord. And when he compromised once in marrying the daughter of Pharaoh, it made the next compromise and the next compromise easier and easier. Before he knew it, he had made 700 marriage alliances and so cemented a massive trading empire and peace on all sides. But he had betrayed and rejected the Lord in the process. So the princesses represent Solomon's lack of conviction for the Lord's standards. The concubines, though, they just illustrate his lust. Solomon could argue that the princesses were just business. But once you open the door for sin, it takes you deeper and deeper inside. Nobody was trying to convince him to set up a harem of concubines. That was all on him. But when you reject God's will for marriage, you ignore his safeguards and you often end up in impurity. Proverbs thirty-one thirty says this charm is deceitful and beauty is vain but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised as soon as Solomon began to ignore the fear of the Lord as a priority trait in a potential spouse he was at the mercy of charm and beauty those things deceive and those things don't ultimately satisfy and so you're left craving for more and more Solomon could could never get enough. And it destroyed his purity and changed the course of his life. And it can do the same to you. I read recently of a writer who created a fake and deliberately terrible online dating profile as an experiment. The profile picture wasn't an attractive woman, but her persona was so racist, manipulative, shallow, cruel, and annoying that the hope was No man would ever consider dating her. The fictitious 25 year old woman from California said that a typical Friday night involved knocking the cups out of homeless people's hands. Her bio introduction just read, I'm a goddess and I do me. Disturbingly, the profile attracted 150 interested men. And each one of them, having closed his eyes to the value of biblical faith, has opened himself up to sexual impurity. That's why purity starts with learning to value faith in a partner, not just the Mark Twain kind of faith that's willing to tell you whatever you want, as long as you'll give him what he wants has to go deeper than that. Do you value deep, genuine believing conviction in a partner? If you're married, do you value that in your partner today? Are you grateful for it when you see it? Do you look for intimate fellowship with God in a spouse? Do you prioritize heart motivated commitment to God's word and his will in someone with whom there might be romantic potential? Failing to do that is a first step towards sexual compromise. And the warning of scripture is that God will judge the sexually immoral. This isn't an area of our lives that any of us can afford to cut corners on. So what we learn from Solomon is that when you love someone who doesn't share your faith, you betray your God, you abandon your purity, and finally you worship like the world. For Olivia Langdon, it meant that she didn't have any faith left when she desperately needed faith to lean on. For others, the impact may be more or less severe. But no believer becomes one with an unbeliever without it undermining their faith. And usually the impact is devastating. When you love someone who doesn't share your faith, you begin to worship like the world. Now, like many of you, Solomon had been warned about the dangers of compromising with his choice of a romantic partner. But he thought he knew better. Verse 2 quotes the prohibition of Exodus 34, 16, when it says, Surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. The wisest man in the world probably convinced himself that he knew better. But verse 3 tells us his wives turned away his heart. In fact, they did so spectacularly. Verse 5 tells us that he began to worship Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Milcom, the god of the Ammonites. In verse 7, he's building high places for the god of the Moabites and for the god of the Ammonites. And then verse 8 just says, And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. You can't knowingly commit yourself to someone who's not committed to your God without compromising your faith. And the repeated warning of scripture is that the damage to your faith is usually fatal. You might still go through the motions, but the heart won't be there anymore. It's similar to the story that the Danish philosopher Kierkegaard told of a goose that was wounded and landed in a barnyard among some chickens. The goose ate with the chickens, played with the chickens, began to, to walk and talk like a chicken, and eventually, The goose thought it was a chicken. (laughs) One day, a flight of geese came over, migrating to their home. He heard the distinctive goose call and looked up to see them overhead. And Kierkegaard said, something stirred within the breast of this goose. Something called to him to the skies. He began to flap the wings he hadn't used and he rose a few feet into the air, but then he stopped And he settled back again into the mud of the barnyard. He heard the cry, but he settled for less. Don't settle for less in your relationship with the Lord. Don't give yourself to someone who doesn't share your faith. When you do, you betray your God, you abandon your purity, you worship like the world, and you invite God's judgment. The Bible says that one of the names of God is jealous, And that's because he cares for us too much to take a number with us. He's not just interested in a hookup. He's not prepared to stand in line. He wants our heart, and he's already freely given us his own. He wants to be exclusive. We matter that much to him. He warns us against being unequally yoked with unbelievers because he knows that the casualties it causes. Marriage is a three-legged race. And so, if the two people are headed in different directions, both of them are going to feel the pain, and somebody usually ends up taking a fall. You may think that you're too smart for that. Are you really smarter than Solomon? You may think, I know someone who married an unbeliever and it seemed to work out fine. But don't confuse God's mercy with God's will. When someone else's disobedience becomes an excuse for your own, we're inviting God's righteous anger. You may think that you'll win them over eventually. And it's possible that you will. But more often than not, people experience bitter consequences like Olivia Langdon did with Mark Twain. So much wishful thinking at work. Too often we see what we want to see and we keep lowering the bar until it feels more attainable. God's warnings for our relationship in this area are frankly stark and unbending. You'll be hard pressed to find any gray area in God's treatment of this subject. But that doesn't mean he isn't waiting with mercy. If we turn to him in humility and repentance. There's a reason that one of the most beloved stories in the life of Jesus is his encounter with the woman at the well. She had blown through five husbands and then decided to just move in with a guy at a time when people really didn't just do that. She'd heard the warnings and felt the judgment of people who told her that what she was doing was wrong. But like Solomon, it was like there was a thirst that couldn't be quenched. And she kept hoping that the next one would satisfy her. Jesus offered her what she was trying to find outside of God's will in her relationships with man. He said to her, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is what all of us are thirsting for. Jesus is the one who satisfied what Solomon tried to satisfy with a thousand women. His water is free, but not to the one with a divided heart. He proved his love for us at the cross, and he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you've received his love, reaffirm your exclusive love for him today. And if you haven't, bring him your brokenness, bring him your weakness, bring him your sin, and ask him to change you. Invite him in and let him reset the direction of your life. Ask him for a drink and receive from him, the living water. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, anytime we talk about love, we talk about something that has an incredible power to pull us. And it can feel impossible to resist. And when we are thirsty, surely it is. And so we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you there there is one who meets and fills the longings of our heart. We thank you for the living water that he gives. And when we give ourselves to him, we can be full and satisfied. And so resist the temptations that the world would bring. Father, I pray that if there is anyone listening now with a divided heart, that you would give them the courage to come to you in humility, to repent of their sins and find in you the grace that we need to move on and to start over. Go before us, Father, and give us your help. For we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I hope this message has helped you to see why God warns so strongly about certain relationships being out of bounds. I hope you've heard the warnings about committing yourself to someone who doesn't share your faith. And I hope you have felt the hope that there is and the only one who can truly satisfy. If it's raised questions or if you'd like to know more about a relationship with Jesus, send me an email or leave a comment below. If you think this is a message that others need to hear, share the link and help spread the word. As always, for more messages of hope, visit gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.